0: sharp pointed and insightful this is stacy on the right on american family radio and urban family talk
1: the administration's push for a citizenship question is part and parcel of a clearly racist scheme of undercounting immigrants of color including black immigrants to deprive us of our community of resources
2: and representation I'm done. What about the special counsel?
1: I'm not going to relitigate it. I don't know how clear I can be, Margaret. It's over for me. He didn't
0: collude with the Russians, obstruction of justice in this situation is absurd.
1: Uh, It's over.
2: People are happy that the economy is booming. People are happy that ISIS has been defeated in Syria. People are happy that the military is being rebuilt, that the judiciary is being remade, and that our country is booming like it hasn't in decades.
0: And now, Stacey Washington.
2: Hey there. Welcome back to the program. I am so excited to be with you. Hour two of the program. We're going to chat with Seton Motley of Less Government. He's a fan favorite on the show. And he's going to join us to talk about this gaslighting that we're going to continue to see. And I love I love it when Seton comes on and previews the crazy. Uh, the Democrats don't have anything to run on. They're going to gaslight us. We'll talk about what gaslighting is Um what it's going to look like from them, and hopefully what we can do to combat it. And we're also going to get a little bit more into some of our subjects that we already had. I've got this 98,000 illegal aliens graduating from U.S. high schools every year. We're going to go through that. Um, but right now, I want to go back to the phones. We have Pat. Pat is calling from Kansas. Hey, thank you for calling the show today.
3: Hey, Stacey. How are you doing, sis?
2: Good. How are you?
3: I'm good. I tell you what, though. I am not going to have any of your crumb snatches over at my house. I mm-hmm. want to complete your analogy <laughs> by by pushing it. Hey, I'm, first of all, I'm really, really, um, it's unfortunate we don't get a chance to go out to the uh, Urban Family Talk uh, family and, and faith conference this year and see you guys again. If you remember uh, me and my wife and all the littles were I out do
2: there we that, so, last year. Listeners, yes, lovely ma'am. listeners, this man, Pat, yeah. and his wife have some of the cutest children these children are the cuteness factory now if we were staying at your house Pat we would not behave like that we wouldn't be armed to the teeth we would not be cooking everything and but I'm just saying if I'm going to be at someone's house as an illegal I'm gonna do it all the way I'm gonna go all the way now as a guest exactly. obviously we would behave ourselves but if we were illegal aliens at your house Pat oh you'd feel it you'd feel the pain yeah, uh, if you come me. on
3: out here, your family. So you know you don't have to worry about. Yesterday. I would just be, be hugging and kissing those babies.
2: It. I would be there hugging and kissing the babies are so and, cute, y'all. They, they're horribly well, cute and so small. They're well, so cute. We, we got we got one more.
3: We got one more on the way, uh, oh ready for goodness. you this July. That's why we can't fly out and oh, uh, come to the. Oh, I this want year. to
2: see the. I would. Do, oh, the children. Mm. Oh my goodness, they're so cute. And then you're gonna <laughs> have one more. So that'll be four, right? Yes, that'll be number four.
3: Yes, that's, that's, right. what that's what I'm right. talking about. Baby girl, baby girl, we asked her what type of uh, animal does she want for Christmas and she said a baby sister. So oh.
2: that's what we got. Oh, so you're <laughs> actually giving her one. Now that's yeah. godly. Do you hear that, people in the audience? Do you hear that? How his, his one child said she wanted another child, and so he was like, Okay, fine. Your mother and I will make another baby for you. Fine. <laughs> that's awesome. Praise okay. Man. Okay, so what's well, your what's your yeah, go ahead. Uh, well,
3: here's, here's a, the important parcel. Number one, I'd like to finish off a piece of the analogy. What I often say is that, hey, look at it this way. If you have a, a door on your front door uh, of your house, right, you don't live Tahitian style in the thatched roof uh, with a couple <laughs> of holes. You have walls up around it. And in those walls, you have a door place and that door has a keyhole, and you demand and command the access that other people from the street do coming into your house. And, and, and what we have this situation in America now is, is that we've completely taken that door off his hinges and laid it off to the side. We've taken the military, that pit bull or Rottweiler out front, and we chopped off, uh, everything that their working tools and stuff, put them in the cone of shame, and they're down in the infirmary. That's what we call transgender, uh, whatever that mess is right there. Uh-huh. We don't even have our military out, out front, our, our guard dog out, out front. The front door is wide open. We're down inside, you know, the master bedroom or down in the basement bathroom looking at the uh, shower gel, trying to, you know, choose the important things. Should we do periwinkle uh, rose petals or should we do orange spring blossoms? I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody <laughs> and their mother's coming in, dirty, muddy shoes, you mm-hmm. know, doing exactly what you said, eating all the food out the fridge, laying mm-hmm. on the couch, watching mm-hmm. the TV, brushing the teeth with your toothbrush, and, and then... And uh, spilling you, stuff and not bad. cleaning
2: it up. Spilling stuff, not, not cleaning, cleaning it up, up, leaving dishes on the end tables and the coffee table. No I fine. mean... I, I, nope, hey. Nothing. No wiping up, you know, inviting the ants to come in, just living La Vida Loca. And you're like, what is happening here? Yes. Exactly.
3: Now, and then that goes into my next question. I'd like to run out here for office for the GOP in Kansas. We moved up here from Texas after we retired. But one of the things that I'm seeing uh, nationally, even, is a big piece of, of, of resistance, if you will, to African Americans being placed in, in positions of prominence. As I was telling you, producer, if we look at it and say that, okay, we'll, we'll charge this true that. African-Americans make up 90 percent of the prison population, but they're 13 to 15 percent of the American population. Then why is it that the GOP is willing to leave 15 percent of the vote on the table nationally? Because right now the Democrats have told you in no uncertain terms that you're old news. They moved on to the better girlfriend, the Latina girlfriend, the black girlfriend. They don't want anymore. So why are we leaving those votes out there? The Republicans under Donald Trump, Trumpism. I got it. Y'all don't like Trump as a man, but Trumpism is awesome. Because here's the deal, we have the right package, we have the right performance, we have the right principles, we have the right policies, and everybody's booming and doing better. The city is blessed. But when we look at the wrapping paper that we have to to go and put that in front of our own community and say, hey, come this way, what else do you have to lose? Right now, we don't have many in the GOP with that type of appetite to say, let's project uh, some people and propel some people of color to these positions of power so people can see leadership that." is representative of them. I, I was just curious and what are your thoughts of that? Have you heard any action underfoot either through the NRA channels or the GOP or anything like that? Because obviously we know that the DNC, they will never give it to you. They will continue to, you know, roll out uh, and, and reanimate Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden if they have to, but they will never give up on power. So uh, um, at least about the black Americans. So we already know that's a, that's a go.
2: Yeah. So, okay. First off, Sometimes what what you're talking about is that entrenched structure with some people who they you know, it's their turn or they've worked their way up and they're they're in power. And this is in the in the party apparatus, Um, the way for black candidates to get traction, obviously something that's undeniable, is if a person has a strong Internet presence or they've knocked thousands of doors. And so the way to do that is to work on campaigns. And I mean, in the volunteer sense. So whenever campaign season cranks up, they look for campaign workers. And they're now what's what's different about it now than 10 years ago is that they're paying ten to twelve dollars an hour for people to knock doors. And usually it's the teenagers who are doing that. But if someone wanted to be a candidate, if you wanted to be a candidate at some point, knocking all of those doors, so getting getting on that rotation and knocking doors on Saturdays and Sundays and you get better reception at the doors if you bring kids with you. I'm, I'm not lying. I've, I've done this before. Um, but even if without the kids, knocking on the door and speaking to voters. And what that does is it gets you into retail politics because you're trying to change yourself. You're trying to morph yourself into a good candidate. And learning how to speak to people at the door is the number one best way to do that. The other thing is while you're doing that volunteering, you make sure that you know the home office knows you're volunteering and you're doing that. And then you go to like the Lincoln days and the Reagan days and the different dinners that they have and different meetings that NRA has those, um, their local meetings that they have. And some they're often in rural areas, but that's where you meet the people who really are the boots on the ground. And a good word from one of those people at a Reagan days or something like that, once you've made inroads there, that network that they have, It can become your network and it's a continual process. You're making friends. You're not really just connecting with people so that you can advance your ability to be able to run, but you're making friends. And when you make those friends and and do that over a sustained period of time, then when you say, I'd like to run for this here, it it won't even be you saying it. They'll come to you. If you want to see the Republicans ringing your cell phone, you run for a local office, a very small nonpartisan office like school board. And you make all of the phone calls to raise the money. You call candidates and ask them to fund your local campaign. You knock the doors to win that campaign. And you'd be surprised at how many Republicans will call you and say, um, so-and-so told me that you called him and asked for $1,000 for your uh, school board campaign. Now, I know that's over and you're on school board or you're not, but what we want to know is if you're interested in running for state rep or state senator. And that's how you get the start. So... I know it sounds like I'm saying you got to go out there and you know lift every rock and climb every tree, but you kind of do. Anything that you want to do that's really good where you want to win people over, it's a lot of hard work, but it pays off in the end. And the dividends from it just expand out. It's like a ripple effect. When you throw a rock in a pond, the ripples don't go to three levels and stop. It goes all the way out to the shoreline. And that's what happens when you do the hard work of actually finding your footing in you know knocking doors and speaking to people and activating voters you learn so much at the door I, mean, I i can't stress it enough when i did it i learned so much not just about people but about myself and i learned to go beyond what i thought my limits were and i also it took all of the fear away people will say to me oh you know you're fearless i'm not i i experience fear all the time i used to get like really freaked out right before I would go on the radio to guest host for people. And so I just kept doing it to, to make it go away. Um, I usually get pretty freaked out right before I have to do a public speaking engagement. And it can be pretty bad. And I've been doing that for a while. So it's not about not having any fear. It's about continuing to work through it. Um, and if you do that, the, the door knocking is so good. It just it basically just scrapes the fear right off of you so that it's something you can manage as opposed to being something that stops you from doing what you want to do. So that that's my long discombobulated answer
3: no thank you so much those are excellent words of wisdom i'm gonna take them all to heart and you look for my name and lights when i call you okay
2: yeah i want to see the pictures of you knocking the doors of the kids put those up on facebook i want to see them i want to see them (laughs) don't don't leave me hanging pat i gotta see those (laughs) and pictures of that new baby (laughs) thank (laughs) you talk to you again soon um so that was a good question and, and i hope people understand um that advice that i just shared with him um I remember someone sharing similar advice with me on radio side, which was why I used to be such a prolific fill-in host and why I still do it to this day for friends. Um, And it's because filling in is the equivalent of knocking doors when you're in the radio industry. And when you fill in over and over and over and over again, you, you make friends and you also are able to expand what you're doing. And it just, it just works. It's something that you have to do. And I, I, I still love doing it. I love because it's like driving somebody else's jet engine. Like they're if you know some some shows that I fill in for, it's literally like filling in for like a jet. And then now I have my own little jet engine, my own little my own little. It's like an F-15 Fighting Eagle. That's what this show is. Pretty awesome. All right, and and all from God. I get none of the glory for that. God did this, and I'm so grateful. Uh, let's see, we have a couple minutes left here. I want to let you hear Joe Biden's greatest hits. And by greatest hits, that's sarcasm. Just letting you know, it's number two
4: who most foreign policy experts around the world say is the most, the wisest man in the Orient. I mean, these Shylocks who took advantage. The first sort of mainstream African-American who was articulate and bright and and, and clean and nice-looking guy, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a storybook, man. And You don't know my state. My state was a slave state. My state is a border state. Unchained!
2: Well, slave state.
4: They're gonna put you all back in chains. As Barack says, a three-letter word: jobs. J O B S.
2: Jobs. jobs. <laughs> He's just the gift that keeps on giving. Joe Biden is so extra, as the children say. And and please don't please don't tell me um, that I use that incorrectly because I'm not, I'm not here for the slang. I am not here for speaking in the vernacular. It's not who I am. This is yeah. I, I sometimes attempt it and I get it wrong. And then when people try to correct me, I'm like, I'm not really trying to learn how to do it right. Like, that's not I'm I'm uh No. Uh-uh. But I will tell you this. You know, if it weren't for the fact that he were trying to be the president of the United States, I would just I simply like Joe Biden, even though he's a groper and all that. Because, you know, I, I'm one of those people where if I was standing nearby and he was gripping somebody else's shoulders and nobody would do anything about it, I'd be like, ew, just really loud. Ew, that's, what what are you doing? Why are you, (laughs) I would just out him. But if he did it to me, I would be like, you better get your hands off me before my husband gets over here because he's looking in this direction and he will be here in a couple seconds, vice president, whatever his name was. But I don't think he would do that to me. I I really don't. Maybe he would. I don't know. I'll never find out because I'm never going to be there and he's never going to be the vice president again and whatever. But he's the gift that keeps on giving because did you hear him, first of all, I, he must have sat with Barack Obama at dinner one night and been like, tell me how to say it. Tell, say it one more time. They're going to put y'all back in chains. Is that good? And you know Barack Obama was probably like, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, go ahead and, yeah, that's a good one. Tell him they'll be back in chains. And he probably said, it doesn't make much sense, does it? He's like, oh, it doesn't have to make sense. You're Joe Biden. You're you're on my team. Just say it anyway. That's what we're working with here. That's the best the Democrats have to offer. Him and a guy who thinks that bombers should vote. Yeah, all right, when we get back, we'll have seat in Motley. Stay there.
4: Here's American Family Association President, Tim Wildman.
5: Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA.
0: We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used
4: by AFA
0: to support the ministry.
4: When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean laundry detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. While I was doing a radio program, news outlets were reporting that the Cathedral Notre Dame was burning. My producer asked if we wanted to start covering it. Since I already had guests on the program, I suggested we wait and see if it was an accident or an attack. His response was that never occurred to him. So you may wonder, what is wrong with me that I would consider the possibility that the fire might have been deliberately set? Perhaps it is the fact that nearly 2,000 houses of worship in France have been desecrated in the last two years. Mind you, I said 2,000, not 500, not 200. You may not have heard this. In fact, whenever some expert being interviewed about the fire in Notre Dame brought this up, interviewers changed the subject or stopped the interview. They might have felt that the comments were off target since the fire was an accident. More likely, they probably didn't want to do anything that might incite an anti-Muslim response. The fact remains that various churches and other houses of worship have been attacked on an average of two a day. Raymond Ibrahim of the Gatestone Institute explains that the authorities and media obfuscate the identity of the vandals. Even when they identify the attacker as a Muslim or a migrant, the media presents the attacker as suffering from mental health issues. This so-called code of silence by the French media has developed because of a desire to avoid blaming migrants or other French Muslims. And it is fair to say that groups other than Muslims may have been responsible for some of the attacks. But Raymond Ibrahim says that when you read the police reports about altars being smashed and Bibles set on fire, while doors are smeared with Islamic expressions like Alu Akbar, these leave little doubt about the perpetrators. Perhaps now you can see why I waited to obtain more information about the fire at Notre Dame. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free
0: copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: Hello, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Find out more at urbanfamilytalk.com. You know we have the Marriage and Family Conference coming up. You've heard the promos for that. You don't want to miss it. Um, you get to meet so many wonderful people who are a part of American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's ministry wide, so there'll be so many fun people there for you to meet. Um, please go to urbanfamilytalk.com and look at the agenda, the speakers, and uh, register there. You will not regret going. It's and and also Tupelo is just a fun town. It's not next to anything, so you you know drive, just drive. But it's it's a fun town. I enjoyed myself there last week, and it's it's such. A great place, and the Wildmans—they're just like running that joint. But it's—it's it's awesome. You—you're gonna love it. So, uh, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend Seton Motley, who's a fan favorite of the show. It's LessGovernment.com, Seton or .dot org.
6: .dot org. The suffix of the nonprofit.
2: That's right. LessGovernment.org. Seton, tell us about the gaslighting.
6: <laughs> well, you know. You watch, I was thinking about this, as, a, as as the, you know, more and more Democrats pile into the presidential pool. You know, Trump comes out, completely reverses Obama's policies on just about everything economic. And they spend the first year screaming bloody murder. I should have put this in the piece, it just occurred to me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's undoing the entire Obama legacy. He's undoing everything. He's undoing it just because Obama did it. And then when it starts working and the economy starts recovering, they try to say that it's Obama's economy, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which which is hilarious after a year of claiming he's undoing everything Obama did, which, of course, he did. Well, now, you know, we were told by all the experts that the first quarter we, were, we had a looming uh, recession coming, and then the first quarter GDP numbers come out, and it's 3.2 percent, and that's a, that's a great number, and especially this, you know, far into a recovery. And... You know, I'm watching these people enter, and Joe Biden, tape, especially, where he, he comes out and says, we got to get America back to where it was. And I'm like, why? Why would you you're Obama's vice president. Why would you run on that? I don't understand. Right. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, you know, we're obviously still a year and a half away from the election. Not that you tell from the coverage. <laughs> but I'm thinking, okay, if we get closer to the election, that the economy is still this good – you're going to have a bunch of Democrats, not just at the presidential level, but running anywhere and everywhere, trying to, you know, reprise the the uh, Chico Marx line from from Duck Soup. Who are you going to believe? You know, your your own eyes or me? While um, <laughs> they tell you the economy is not good, even though it's good, and unemployment's low, even though you know not low, even though it is, and you know you got black and Hispanic. Uh, Record low unemployment, and already you've had that for about a year now. And they're just going to tell you, you know, A is not A, even though you're staring right at A. Um, and that, that that's applying to a whole bunch of things. And I, I don't know how much, you know, you and I, I don't think, discussed this, but about a year and a half ago, Trump undid Obama's power grab on the internet. Now they did it in the name of net neutrality, but in case you don't know this, um, what they were doing was a Trojan horse. What they did was a huge power grab, and they did it in the name of net neutrality. But you don't need what they did to impose net neutrality. They they imposed 1934 landline telephone law on the Internet, which is absurd and reductive and and regressive and would shrink the Internet eventually back down to telephone size uh, growth, which, of course, it's already hugely expanded beyond that. And they tell you that, oh, we needed to do that in the name of net neutrality. Well, that was a lie. Then they come out, and when Trump's getting, getting ready to undo that power grab, there's headlines all over the place about all the different destructive things that what Trump was going to undo would do to the Internet. None of them happened. None of them happened. I wrote a piece a year afterwards saying, Here is, a year later, all their lies look even dumber. Because literally nothing that they predicted was going to happen. <laughs> and now, one of the things they always freak out about is Internet fast lanes. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase they made up because, of course, when you hear fast lanes, you, also, you automatically think of slow lanes. And what they try to conjure up is you're going to be in the slow lane and the big giant corporations are going to be in the fast lane. Well, that's not how the Internet works. You know, it's not it's not divided up like that. And second of all, what they don't tell you is there's a thing called a content delivery network. That's the fast lane they're talking about. It's already existed pretty much since the beginning of the Internet. And all that does is, is, is for people who don't understand See, this is one of the things they rely on, the technological complexity of this to keep, you know, people are ignorant, they don't understand it, so they can lie to them. What happens is there's stuff that they don't need to deliver right then. You know, there's you know on a website, there's a lot of stuff that automatically comes up before you click on anything. That stuff can be called it's called cached, c a c h e d, meaning Mm -hmm. it can be kept on a content delivery network and automatically shoved to your computer from a much closer location than where the website is hosted. So big giant websites that deal in a lot of traffic. Build CDNs, content delivery networks, and store these things locally around the country, so that you get the website faster when you bring it up.
2: Um, mm.
6: A lot of It sounds, of it sounds this. awesome. Facebook does it. I'm sorry. It sounds awesome. <laughs> oh, they've been doing it forever. I mean, you know, these guys are technological wizards. These gurus that built the net, internet. Yeah, they, they do this all the time, and big companies do it all the time. Facebook does it. You know, think of all the think of all the stuff that's automatically always there for Facebook. There's no need to send that to you from California every time you call up Facebook. So they have CDNs all over the place that cache all that stuff and dump it to you. And I'm simplifying this. It does more than that. But that's basically what you do. And, and so, you know, the fun part is Facebook and Google, who wanted net neutrality, and spent a ton of money on leftist groups to get net neutrality, they would get free internet. They would get unlimited bandwidth as a result of net neutrality. Nobody tells you this. The the funny part is, the, the net neutrality people wanted to ban CDNs for internet service providers while allowing them, because they've already existed since the beginning of time, for big websites like Google and Facebook and all that. So it's just, It's just another lie that they're going to tell you because because right now one company, Cox Communications, one one of the problems for gamers, you know, nothing eats more video, I mean, uh, more bandwidth than video. The gamers don't worry so much about bandwidth, although that's a problem. What they're worried about is what's called latency. And that means what's the delay between the time you, you know, if you're playing a video game online with other people somewhere else, the, the, the latency is the amount of time between the, the time you hit the button on the controller and the computer responds to you hitting the button on the controller all over the network. And so what, the, what Cox is going to do now is they're going to build a little side thing for gamers, which will, incre- will, do, will help everybody. It'll decrease latency delays for the gamers. It'll get the gamers who are using a ton of bandwidth off the roads you and I are using which means there's more bandwidth for us, which means our stuff gets faster. It's an improvement for everybody. Now, because they're using more bandwidth, the gamers will be charged a little bit more, which again is good for everybody because we were subsidizing their bandwidth use when they were in the pool, when they're in the pool with us, cuz they're using way more than we do, but it's all socialized and averaged out, and that extra money, a lot of it will go into further investment to speeding up the internet and improving the, the quality of of, of the uh, internet delivery. Oh my everybody. goodness!
2: The free market. You're talking about yeah. capitalism. Yeah. You're talking about when people bear the burden of what they're doing, then other innovators come in and say, "Well, we can, we can offer you that cheaper." Well, uh, as, I, as I said, the piece. Look, the, the the free
6: market is looking to accommodate the gamers the gamers' concerns. Yeah, and that's what they're trying And and what's funny is all these gamer websites, you know, all the tech websites. They're some of the biggest proponents of net neutrality, and it is these, it is this stupid net neutrality argument that we've been having for almost two decades now, that has impeded just this kind of solution to the latency problems that all these gamers have been complaining about oh for two, two decades.
2: Oh, it's so exhausting because what you're saying is. If people would just stop buying this garbage can of lies from the Democrats... The Internet could be faster, which I'm I'm dealing with issues like on a weekly basis with the Internet that we have. We have business lines coming into my home and that's so that I can do the radio show from there because I can't travel to Tupelo, Mississippi every day to do the show. So, you know, in the modern America, I do it from my house and and what I'm running into with with where we live here locally in St. Louis is we have kind of a monopoly with one major service provider.
6: And by the way. You
2: know what Let me, let me
6: clarify something real quick. The reason you have a monopoly is not because of the companies. It's because of the government. Oh, I know. I know co- it. A, yeah, a company comes in and wants to provide service to St. Louis. Just pick your city as an example. The shakedown start. The government says, okay, you need to give everybody in the government free internet and free cable television. You need to build this park over here. You need to pay a, a, a right-of-way fee. You need to pay a, a poll attachment fee every month, even though you only attach to the poll once. The, the, the private providers, the internet service providers, have spent a trillion dollars connecting, building out the infrastructure. About half of that money went to local governments. For stupid and stuff. In, excha- in exchange for all those shakedowns, they, they give them a monopoly. That's the, that's the trade-off. The, the, the companies don't want it. They'd rather not pay the shakedowns and have, you know, have some competition. Than yeah, than but, to be a but what they end up the doing shakedown.
2: is, here's the other unintended consequence of that. If a company has already, you know, grifted everybody in the area and greased all the palms of the legislators, then when it's time for you to call in and say your Internet isn't working as well, they're not going to be as as motivated to help you get your right. Internet working right because they've already paid, they've got the monopoly, and whether they wanted it or not is immaterial. Now they are the benefactors. They've paid for it. They've earned right. the right to treat you like a less-than-worthy pay, payer. You, and, and, and we're paying, and we're paying the, for this stuff. Uh, yes,
6: and, and that's absolutely true. Now, at a national level, the, the, the Internet service providers are actually fighting. There are several states that have franchise reform. Texas, for example, you go to Austin, you get permission to provide service in the entire state of Texas, and that way you don't get shakedowns from Houston and Dallas and San Antonio and all that. And the, and the, and the Internet service providers want this, because like right now, especially with 5G coming, the, the, the cities and, and counties are viewing this as a giant cash cow. Before, you used to have to pay a lot of money to, to site a tower, you because know, it was a big, giant cellular tower. Now, with 5G, the, the, the towers, quote-unquote, the, the, the antennas, are about the size of a pizza box. But you've got to put a ton of them up to do 5G. And the government is still trying to charge them giant cell tower fees. <laughs> so just, the, the, it... the, the, the providers are looking to, to get some sort of regulatory relief at the federal level to cap what the local governments do to them. And so they actually are, at the federal level, I know they get monopolies and they take advantage of the monopolies when they have them, but they are trying to get rid of the government-imposed monopolies because it does impede their build-out of of both wired and wireless Internet. And just remember, everybody, you can't have wireless Internet without wired. Any phone call you make, cell phone to cell phone – at least half that traffic is on a wired network,
2: not a wireless Yeah, it's not magic. It still has to no. have – you still have to have some infrastructure there. And I also want to point out that that same phenomenon that we were just discussing, Seton, of having the less than optimal customer service experience because the people have a monopoly, it goes both ways. When you reach out to your legislator and you say, you know, I have some questions about X, whether it's a utility company or whatever – and they would normally respond to you if it were something about the second amendment or something because you could be an NRA member and you could impact the NRA giving them money but because the utilities have a monopoly the the internet service providers have a monopoly the phone well, service not people then, they, then they're less likely to respond to you as well. So this can be someone mm. that you phone bank for or you publicly supported. But if you ask them about something that they're already bought and paid for, they will not reply. They actually right. will. You can chase them all over the place. You can go on their Facebook page and they will not respond to you because they're bought and paid for. That, there there well, you go, yes. Americans.
6: And, and, that's, and that's, my, that's my campaign finance reform. It's not restricting First Amendment rights of anybody. It's reducing the size of government so that the so that the legislators aren't as powerful and can't be as destructive as they as they'd like maybe like to be. Um, as, as my joke says, nobody bribed the head the, the head of the chess club uh, to leave them alone. They bribed Mike Tyson, <laughs> and I let the government look a little more like the head of the chess club and a little less like Mike Tyson.
2: I, I would love it if they were like that because you know one of the other things that I've noticed, Seton, about all of this is that. As much as we talk about limited government on the right and we talk about, you know, we got to hold our government officials accountable. We have pockets of this where these utility companies don't care about Republican or Democrat. They care about giving the money in donations to every member of the legislature here in the state of Missouri. And then once they're all bought and paid for, they don't have to worry about anything coming from any side. And these utility companies They've already done that. They're past the the point of us saying, "Oh, I wish they wouldn't." They've already done it. They've already bought and paid everybody who's sitting down in, in Jeff City right now, and,
6: and that and you is have, a problem. You know, you have that, and you have that at the federal level too. It's the swamp. It's it's everybody's bribed. So whether it's Republicans or Democrats in charge, you can't get, say, immigration uh, uh, control because both sides are owned by the same people.
2: It's kind of crazy. Well, I so I encourage everybody, go to lessgovernment.org, hit the subscribe button, you'll get this fantastic, it's an email, and it's written, just like Seton talks, that's how the thing's written. It's got links in it that you can click through and share, and then once you're all riled up and stuff, you can write a letter because we're doing Seaton we're we're do, going back to old school because this is how we get people to listen to us you write a letter it doesn't have to be lengthy you can refer to the information that Seaton he, he fills the email up with links it's quick it's a quick read like three minutes and then you're informed and you can move on and next time somebody says net neutrality is what we need you can smack them down with facts just like Seaton does it's <laughs> awesome you can be Seaton Motleyized <laughs> Seaton thank you for joining us today Always a pleasure, Stacey. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. We'll be back with more right after this.
1: This week during our uh, family worship time together, uh, when we turned to the scripture, I was sharing with my family and we were discussing the scripture that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed and I was explaining the whole caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly process. My son said, he's six years old, Daddy, Daddy, I get it. it it's it's weird, we're like the caterpillars. God provides the cocoon and God's desire all along is even though we're in caterpillar form, is for us to become butterflies. And then look what he said. But you know when we get into trouble, Daddy? When we try to move from caterpillar to butterfly and we skip over God. And when you try to skip over God, you think you have your wings, but you fall flat.
0: Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk.
1: And I have to tell you, I had to fight back tears in the moment because i say, Oh, Lord, he, he's getting this. Help her in her time of grief, Father. Thank you, Father. Give her strength, give her guidance, and help her realize that you are there with her. Intercession herself. is a unique form of prayer. It's
0: praying on behalf of another individual. Pastor Joseph Parker of the Hour of Intercession. Our prayer life is to not consist only of praying for ourselves and our own families, but we're to pray much for the needs of others and the world. Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central here on Urban Family Talk. Bishop E.W. Jackson.
3: Every single one of us who's been saved was once on the other side. You know, the Bible says, and such were some of you. Before I got saved, I knew things were wrong, but I figured as long as I didn't get caught, what difference did it make? But the thing is, he changes you down on the inside anyway so that you don't want to do
0: what's wrong. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com.
4: Media Minute with Howard Kurtz. Joe Biden ran into a major obstacle right out of the campaign gate and her name is Anita Hill. She told the New York Times that Biden had called her to express regret about the way that she was treated by his Judiciary Committee back in 1991 when she made sexual harassment allegations against nominee Clarence Thomas, but she was left deeply unsatisfied by the call, telling the Times the focus on apology to me is one thing. He needs to give an apology to the other women and to the American public. Biden was asked about this Friday on the view. Why doesn't he just apologize? He said, well, you know, I publicly apologize. I didn't call her until recently, 28 years later, because I didn't want to invade her space. And the former vice president said, if you go back and look at what I said and what I didn't say, I don't think I treated her badly. Now, the media are making this a litmus test issue. Many people may not care that much about what happened back in the early 1990s, but it's an example of Biden's long record and how it can be used against him. With your Media Minute, Howie Kurtz, Fox News.
0: Welcome back to Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
5: Uh, black women are the best voters in the country, meaning they vote more per capita than any other demographic in the country. So it's not just they're important for democratic support. They're important to the democracy. They re- they are the best, most reliable voters. And, um, you know, if... Uh, Bill Clinton would not have been President of the United States, um, Lyndon Johnson might not have been re-elected, Jimmy Carter would, would not have been elected either uh, if it were not for black women. So. Uh, I don't know that you can predict um, how they're going to vote based off of someone's demographic. Now back then, we didn't have a lot of choices. All you could choose from was white men. And now, um, amazingly, we have a lot of great uh, diverse choices that they can consider. But they do seem, when you see women interviewed from the She the People forum, they're really focused on issues and they want to hear what people are going to do to create jobs. They want to hear what people are going to do in racial justice. Um, And you know, like any demographic, they're concerned about issues. and. Things that are going to affect their own lives. Um, it's uh, something to see all three, all the type, the top of the polls being led by three white men, though. I have to say, it. Um uh, you know, I, I am concerned that as someone who worked for a woman candidate last time that uh, there's something that about the sort of biases we still hold about leadership and what that looks like that makes us gravitate towards um, towards men and um, and even white men.
2: Ah, Welcome back to the show. If you're wondering who was spewing that idiocy, it was a former Clinton communications director. And she's really upset that it's Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden and Pete, buddy, something or other, um, and and other white guys who are leading the field and that they're even old white guys, which, you know, um, it's so because this woman's white. So she must have a father or a grandfather or uncles, people in her family who are white because she's white, who are old, and, and she must hope to get old herself. Yet she's holding these – these are just innocuous descriptors against these frontrunners. Instead of insulting – Bernie Sanders thinks felons should vote. That's what she should be talking about, not the fact that black women are the, the best voting demographic for, for – that. that's actually a travesty. Black women also have the highest abortion rate. Black women have a much higher rate of college matriculation than black men. Um, Black women are also, they lead in in entrepreneurship. There are lots of positive things you can say about black women. We could run down the list. We could talk about positive things about black women, white women, Asian women. We could then start with men and go down the list of their demographic backgrounds and, and list positive things about them. I think this cherry picking really is an example of how little Democrats think about black women. Because in spite of the horrible results that black women get from voting for Democrats, black women continue to do that in droves. And this woman is misguided. And she's also pointing to something else that I, I, I can't let this fly by without pointing something out. First, let's all deal in the same terms. Diverse adjectives showing a great deal of variety. Very different example, a culturally diverse population. And then I'm not going to go through the synonyms or the antonyms. But clearly, diverse is another way of saying full of variety. Now, in today's political vernacular, diverse has been turned into a buzzword or a little flag that you wave to show that you are woke and everyone else around you is like not. And that is, well, we just want to diverse this or that. Well, why do we need a great deal of variety or people who are extremely different on one political side or the other? It seems that if they were all espousing their way of best putting forward the platform, namely the Democratic platform, that they wouldn't be extremely diverse. And so if we're pointing at the things that you can't control, innate characteristics, meaning I don't know anybody. We always joke around about how the Fox News chicks stand in, you know, they come out of a a, uh, a factory in the sky and it spits out Fox News chicks because they're all similar in looks. They're like, you know, beauty queens and whatnot. We joke about that. We joke about being in the line before you're born for height. And, I, you know, I was in that line because I'm six feet, two inches tall. And other people were in the line for brains because they're geniuses. They're Mensa, you know, candidates and so on and so forth. We all joke about that. But the fact is. God knits us together in our mother's womb and he makes us, we are all his creation. And so we're either diverse because God created us in different ways to look different ways because he's creative and he enjoys beauty and he sees beauty in all of his creation. And he creates many, many different kinds of apples and many kinds of violets and many kinds of trees, uh, many kinds of grass. He creates those things because he does not ever tire of looking at different types of beautiful things. And he has that same kind of diversity in us, but it's not meant to be a way that we group ourselves together. All the six feet tall women and up sit over there. Y'all are a voting group. All the men who weigh over 200 pounds sit over there. You're a voting group. Anyone who has a you know, body fat percentage of less than you know 8%, you sit over there. That is ridiculous. So what what is this obsession with calling us to group together by everything that keeps us apart instead of looking at ourselves the way God sees us as different parts of the body? Now I remember the first time this was ever explained in church, and I was sitting there thinking, and it really, I mean, it it, it was in that moment. You know, when something becomes real for you, scripture or something, you just you you latch onto it, and for a while, it's all it it, it occupies your mind. And I remember the pastor saying, it was like, well, you know, we're all parts of the body. But what we all want to do is we all want to be the foot or the hand or we all want to be the head. We all want to be the eyes. But we have to have hands, right? We, you know, you it's it's hard to function without hands. Hands have to be attached to arms. So all of us have to be a part of the body functioning in our wheelhouse. And he said, he was when he was describing it, he said, you know, What's funny is nobody really cares much about the toes, for instance, you know, um, women paint their toes and want their toes to look nice. And nobody really cares about toes. But toes serve a very, very, very integral function to standing up and to walking. Each toe actually serves a purpose. And if you don't have one of those toes, your body has to overcompensate to make up for that toe's purpose and function not being handled because it's not there. And so he said if. If you're in the body of Christ and you're a toe, for instance, and you look at what you have to do and you say, well, this just isn't needed, but then you stop doing what it is that you're called to do, the whole body is off kilter. One toe throws the whole body off kilter. And it's the same thing for everything else. I mean... Hair serves a purpose. Hair actually conserves body heat in the winter and it serves as a way to kind of, the wind blows through your hair and it's a refreshing thing in the summertime when it's when it's hot. The hair also prevents your scalp from being sunburned. I mean, it's, it just serves a ton of purposes. Well, if you're the hair in the body of Christ, you're like, well, I mean, I don't really have a purpose. Yes, you do. And so every one of us has a purpose. So it's not that we're diverse, The the parts of the body of Christ are diverse in that they're so different and they don't function together the way that the left makes all of us bow down to this false God of diversity. It's in calling out the differences that we see in other people and making that difference, everything about a person to most liberals. I am only a black woman and I'm only a black woman until they find out that I vote for Republicans and then I'm not black at all. And so they use your demographics to Not only categorize you, but to either lift you up and give you benefits or to punish you, you see. Because I know people here in the St. Louis area who are black Democrats, who are friends with some of my friends who are Republicans. But because those women are white, they give them a pass. But they won't be friends with me because I'm black and I'm a Republican and I cannot be both of those things. So what I want to I want to point out that every time you hear diversity, you're listening to it's basically a work of Satan. The way diversity as a mantra is being used to divide, categorize and minimize every other aspect of people, people created in the image of God, formed to do a work, loosed from the arrow to Hit the mark of Christ Jesus in their lives, whatever He's called them to do. And instead of people thinking about what has God asked me to do? What has God called me to do? What could I do if I just stop for one second and stop thinking about my limitations? Stop thinking about the fact that I'm black, that I'm tall, that I'm overweight, that you know I don't have a bachelor's degree. I'm just talking about myself here. I could go down a list. Four miles long of all the things that are negative attributes about me. But God calls me friend. He calls me helper. He calls me his child. He says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when he taps you to do something, get out of the way. Satan, demons, and naysayers, haters, whoever you are, get out of the way. When he calls you to do something, if you say yes, he will plow the space in front of you, remove all obstacles, and you will shoot out. The arrow analogy is not meant to just something flowery that we say that's really exciting in speeches. The arrow analogy is literal. It is a literal descriptor of what Christians can do when he says, this is what you're going to do. And you say, yes, you're out. You're out of the, the arrow. You're shooting out and you're doing amazing things for him. And that's wherever you work. It's not Just for people who are called to, you know, literal ministry, it's your ministry is wherever you work. It's wherever you find yourself on a daily basis. You're doing that to the glory of God. But you can't do that if you think, well, I'm a black woman, you know, I mean, it's just who I am. Or in today's society where being white is the problem. Well, I'm white and, you know, I'm not woke. I can't this. I can't forget all that. Forget it. And this is, I think, one of the biggest boondoggles, one of the biggest tricks that we've had foisted on us as a country. A country with our flawed background, yes, but we are a place where any person can immigrate here and start a business and work their way up and their children can live what is considered to be an upper class, primo lifestyle. Anywhere else in the world, you'd be considered one of the 1%. Here in America, you're just middle class. People want to take that away. People don't want to see you operating in your gifts and doing all that you can do and, you know, praising God as you go. People want to remind you that you're the toe or the hair or the fingers or, you know, you're the fingernails in the body of Christ. People want to make sure that you think that's a bad thing instead of saying, you know what, this is where my gifts are. This is God has called me to, you know, the gift of hospitality. I just love serving people. I love, you know, inviting them in and hosting Bible studies or hosting this or hosting that. I love organizing people and and helping them to get to where they need to get to so that they can be blessed. Whatever it is that you do. And so they want to make you sit up and compare yourself to other people. And the avenue through which the enemy gets us to do that to ourselves and to other people, diversity. Well, look what he's getting. Well, look, why is he doing that? He's he's doing that because he's a white man. No, he's doing that because God called him to do it and he said yes. What could you be doing if you would say yes to what God has called you to do? If you think about diversity, the answer is nothing. If you're thinking, well, I'm not a diverse enough candidate or I'm too diverse for this workplace or this place doesn't honor diversity. You're already done before you even get started. But if you say, wow, um, liberals want me to look around and say, I'm the only person who looks like me in this area. And that that must be because this is a patriarchy and it's run by old white men. God wants you to say, wow, look where God has placed me. This is a great opportunity I'm going to work and be diligent and I'm going to get stuff done. And hopefully, God's going to bless that. Like, I'm pretty sure He's going to bless that. His word says He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so, on the way into work, instead of thinking about how it's run by old white men, you start praying to the only man that matters. You start praying in the name of Jesus Christ over that workplace. Pray over your opportunities. Pray over your work. Start asking God to give you new ideas and ministry opportunities in your workplace. Ask Him to turn his hand of mercy and grace and anointing to you and lay his hand on you so that everywhere you go, you are blessing your coworkers and working to the fullest extent of your ability. That he would expand your ability to have ideas and be able to do whatever it is that you do so that when people see you coming, they're like, man, the sparks are flying off of him. He's got great ideas. And and all I want to do is just, let's let's just keep working. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. I think we're going to have another banner month Another banner year. You know what one of the best decisions was? Bringing him on. Regardless of what diversity, demographics you're sporting. And I've heard people say this about people who, you know, are diverse, as the quote-unquote liberals say. I've heard people say amazing things about people that are working in different areas. And they're working unto the Lord. And so their coworkers don't see them as the black this or the Hispanic that or the white this or that, or a woman or a man, their coworkers see them as someone that is invaluable, that they are so blessed to get to work with. And that's what serving God and putting him as the controller, asking his anointing, saying yes to what he has for you to do, will do for you. If you say yes to these demonic liberal terms and start to see yourself as a black person or a white person or a short person or a fat person or, you know, someone who did graduate from college or whatever it is that you've got working that you're like, I don't like working with that. Then you're done before you even get started. The God that we serve has no limitations. He does not operate within demographic boxes he's outside of space he's outside of time he's outside of your situation and he works all things out for your good no matter which decision you make so every probability every opportunity every timeline if you're a sci-fi person every possible timeline he's already worked it out for your good and he's on the other side of it waiting for you to walk it on out So rather than being diverse, let us just serve the one who created it all. If you can't fix it, which you know you can't fix it, don't don't play. Ask him to fix it. Father, fix it. Fix this for me in the name of Jesus. Amen. And see won't he do it. I'll be back with you tomorrow. God bless you from the Heartland citizens. Have a great night.